Good morning. It is good that somebody almost applauded. My goodness. If that happened, <clears throat> revival could break out in this place right now and in all of our campuses. Hey, I want to take just a minute and welcome you. If uh, you're joining us from an off-site campus or on the internet, podcast, in another venue, driving your car without texting, all kinds of good stuff. We're glad that you are along uh, for the ride today. This is great. Uh, we're in a series uh, on Acts. It begins with one, and this is week three, and we're going to take a look at uh, Acts chapter three. Before we do that, I got to show you some pictures. How about a grandparent picture for this week, okay? All right, here we go. I want to introduce to you um, Rylan on the uh, right and Sadie on the left. They're brand new twins. Another picture of them. This, uh... Now, let me explain to you why we have ribbons. We, we just happen to do that, but it represents something. Every child is special. We know that. These are exceptionally special. If you knew the story uh, behind uh, the struggle that Ben and Jenny have been through in the last three years with infertility. And I know that every time I show a picture, there are some of you that struggle with that whole concept, and it hurts and it's hard. And can I tell you... We feel your pain and we know your pain. We haven't talked a lot about it, and I'm not going to talk a lot about it today, but it's been a, a three-year struggle. And uh, uh, just good news, good news. And, and we're very, very, very excited about that. And I think they both look just like their grandpa, don't you? <clears throat> and so uh, that's, the, that's it for a while. That's six if you're counting. Uh, five girls in a row and uh, another one. We're going to take about a three-month pause, and then we do it all again, Okay. Uh, this weekend, I want to, I, I'm excited to share with you uh, one of my friends, and a lot of you know him. Um, several years ago, in about the year 2000, 2001, I shared with the church a dream uh, to become a church planting church. You know, we believe that the kingdom of God is a lot bigger than Seacoast Church. We're excited about what God is doing here, but we're just a real, real small piece of what God is even doing in our city and uh, certainly in our state and around the world. And, um, and I shared with the church that, that I had a, a dream of being a real church planting church that maybe we could plant 2,000 churches in our lifetime. That's, ab- you know, that's absolutely impossible. I mean, that was, when I said it, it was one of those things when I said it, when I left church that day, you ever said something and went, why did I say that? You know, and you think about it all day long. You know, maybe you said something at work and you go, well, that was one of those. But I'd been thinking it, but I didn't mean to say it. And um, long story, but out of that came a relationship with Billy Hornsby. Uh, Billy said, you know what, I want to be a part of that, and I think we can help make that happen. Billy came on staff uh, several years ago, and uh, we together we created what's called the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, and uh, we have now planted, I think, 140 churches just in the last um, seven or eight years. And we have 100 churches on the board for next year. And uh, Billy has taken that on as the executive director full-time. 
uh, and moved to Birmingham, Alabama, where we kind of headquarter. And um, we still meet regularly. We talk all the time. We text, not while we're driving. And uh, this is uh, one, of, one of my great friends and somebody that God is using in a powerful way. And I've asked him to do Acts chapter 3. So will you give him a big seacoast welcome to the man, Billy Hornsby? Well, good morning, everybody. It's a, a great day, and Greg was talking about all those churches being planned. I was starting to get tired. You know, just, God, we planted 60 churches this year and about 100 next year, and so, which means I live on the road. And I, just, I never unpack my suitcase. Isn't that amazing? You just come home and trick out the dirty stuff, put some clean stuff in, and catch a flight the next day. And that's kind of the way it's been going, but it's been very, very good. I love coming back to Seacoast. We were here like eight years uh, in the Charleston area, lived in Mount Pleasant, and I uh, have wonderful memories. My daughters, uh, one of my daughters lived here, and uh, little Abby and Wesley, their kids, spent a lot of their years right here in Charleston. So we love Charleston, love all of you. Uh, when we got off the plane, I saw Charleston, this is like we're home now. We're coming back home. You know, because we really, we love Birmingham because our kids are there now. But when we got to the airport, I said, you know, it's just like, well, let's go to, let's take our car and drive out to Dunes West where we live and settle in for a couple of days. So uh, it's great to be back. It's always wonderful to be with Pastor Greg and Debbie. And what about the grandkids? Man, that's amazing. We have, um, we have eight grandkids, and, uh, but Greg's, Greg's becoming the grandpa uh of the century. I mean, the way he loves those kids and he always twittering about it and you constantly are getting pictorial updates and stuff and uh, he's going to be a great, great, great grandfather and, and Debbie too as well. Great grandmother. Well, you know, uh, I'm glad that y'all are in the book of Acts and, and I'm glad I got to speak about chapter 3 because chapter 3 is kind of like one of these first huge miracles of the church after the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit was given. And I want to pick up on, on the story because now Peter has just received the Holy Spirit. It came on 120 people. He goes out and he preaches. In his first sermon, 3,000 people get saved. The Bible says in the number that was added to the church that day was about 3,000. So I have 3,120 people because 120 people were, were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. And so here comes Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, empowered that now all the things that Jesus had said in his earthly ministry to them turned out to be actually true. That he would be crucified, that he would be raised from the dead, and that he would send the Holy Spirit on the church. And so now they have this absolute confidence that Jesus is the Christ, that everything he says is true, so everything he said that's coming must be true as well. And they walk out and they see a sight that I want to read to you about. Listen to this in Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those who were entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and so did John, and said, Look at us. 
And the crippled man, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and began leaping, um, walking and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who at the beautiful gate, who was at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Someone said he was asking for alms, but he got legs. And uh, anyway. uh, (laughs) You know, this guy's life. Can you imagine being, being deformed, in essence, being paralyzed from birth? And that your whole life's existence is a life of a beggar. Your mom and dad are going to carry you to the temple every day and set you down... And your livelihood is going to be a professional beggar. Because you can't work, you can't have any kind of gainful employment. So they know religious people go to the temple and pray. So they're going to sit him right there at this beautiful temple. Overlaid with extra layers of gold. And uh, so he's there begging. And, and when Peter and John saw him, they reached out to him. Having no gold and silver to offer. But they had something way more powerful. They had the name of Jesus Christ, the one now that they utterly believe that everything had, he had said was true. This man's life got off track really early at birth. You know, some of us are a little bit lame in our life because our life has gotten off track just a little bit. Have you ever gotten off track? You know how that feels? You thought you had it all together. Maybe you got off track in business. Maybe you got off track in a relationship. Maybe you got off track morally. And you just don't know what to do about it. Well, you know, uh, I never forget getting off track one time. Literally getting off track. We were uh, at my farm in Louisiana. We were riding ATVs. And we were along the Amy River. The Amy River is several miles long. And there were miles and miles of ATV tracks in the back. Well, I had never gone back that far but I had one of my brothers and a bunch of my nephews out there on these ATVs. And this was back in the day when it was, they had the three-wheelers. You know, had the big balloon tire up front. Real susceptible to flipping over. And it's getting dark and it's freezing cold that night. We're all bundled up in jackets going through the back uh, of the woods and through the river. And I'm losing them. They're so good on them. And I never rode them that much. But they leave me. I see them going over a hill. I'm going as fast as I can to catch up with them. And I ran into a hole. But the hole was full of water. And when I went through the water, the front wheel flipped up, flipped over, threw me down in the water, and the ATV fell on top of me. Now it's cold. Now I'm soaking wet. Underwater with an ATV on top of me. But thanks to the crawfish protein that I've been raised on in South Louisiana... (laughs) I was able to lift that machine off of me and and actually got out of it. Then I started riding around. Well, now it's even worse. Now I'm cold. I got the ATV started again. 
But I'm freezing cold. I've lost my way. There's thousands of tracks going all kinds of directions. I don't know how to get home. Well, everybody has gone back to the house, which was like a camp, and they're eating jambalaya, crawfish pie, and filet gumbo. And I'm freezing to death. And they're not even thinking about me because they're feeding their face, you know. And uh, finally, about two hours later, when I was about to give up the ghost, I see lights coming. I said, oh, thank God. And they rescued me and brought me back. Someone happened to say, well, where's Uncle Billy? Because, you know, for me to be in town and not be at the table was like... (laughs) But they were so busy eating, you know, that's just how it was. And I couldn't find my way back for hours. But, you know, some people get off track and they never find their way back. And some of you in here may have gotten off a track. And I want you to know, when I get through today, you're going to say... Thank God I heard this message. Thank God I'm off track right now. And your ears are going to perk up right now because this is for you. This is to get you back. Because sometimes we struggle, get overwhelmed. We, 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 learn, you know, we can fake it for a while, but we know sooner or later we're being off track is going to get, catch up with us. We're going to get in trouble. And so maybe we've been praying, God, open up my heart. Bring me back to that place. Bring me back to that place where I was before. And the Lord wants to do that this morning, I believe, with all my heart. Now, have you ever seen a beggar? Have you ever seen a beggar? I've traveled all over the world, and I've seen every kind of beggar you can imagine. A lot of the beggars in, in Western Europe, they're, most of the time they're, they're from the Middle East, and they have their babies there. And you walk by and give them money, and they're, they're not even paying attention to you. That's what they do every day. They don't have anything else to do but go and beg, and they'll bring their children, they'll put a little pot, uh, need food, and, you know, whatever. And some people throw them money, and some people don't. But they could care less. They just, they're going to sit there all day. They don't have anything else to do anyway. Other beggars, I mean, they're really out there with a, a little bit better sign, and they're really watching you, and they fix their eyes on you. Others, I saw one in Malaysia, he was just a statue, and he was on a, like this. And never moved. I watched him for 20 minutes to see who was going to blink. And he never moved. And then there was this guy who was just covered in street grunge. And he was just laying there with his little bucket and a little sign. Did you ever see the guy on the corner that says, we'll work for food? They really don't want to work for food. It's like their job. I was in New Orleans one time and had this guy, we'll work for food. And we stopped and said, hey, man, look, uh, come on, we'll, we got some, some work to do over here. And we'll be glad to feed you after and even give you a little extra money. He says, oh, man, I ain't working. He said, come on, move out the way, move out the way. He said, well, I thought you worked for food. We'll give you a place to stay tonight. He says, I stay at the Holiday Inn. He made enough money every day uh, with that sign to stay at the Holiday Inn, eat a hot breakfast in the morning, eat three meals a day. He didn't want to work for food. He was just a professional beggar. But real beggars sit on, a, sit on the ground or sit on the side and they will look at you and watch you walk by every step hoping that you'll give them something. They are expecting something from you. And this was the case of the beggar in Acts chapter 3. He looked up expecting to receive silver and gold from Peter. 
and John. And Peter said, you know what? I don't have any silver and gold. But what I have, I'm going to give to you. And I think sometimes our expectations of the things of this world let us down. And we need to refocus on the person of Jesus Christ. I don't care how good of a businessman you are. Your business can fail in an economy like this. I don't care what a, how, how nice a person you are. You can have failed relationships. There's nothing that can keep you from having an accident. There's nothing that can keep you from having cancer. My wife, the most precious girl in the world, has been battling cancer for since she was 21 years old. In the last two years, pancreatic and liver cancer. They gave her 12 months to live like 24 months ago. And she battles that. It's a burden to carry that day after day. But you know what? We, we go to the doctors and we, we get the treatments. But her focus it has to be totally on God to get the strength that she needs to make it through. And I watch her and I see her get that. So we need to refocus our expecting eyes on the one who can deliver. And God can always and will always deliver for us because it's easy to get off track. And the reason it's so easy to get off track is because there's so much in this world that's trying to get our attention. There are so many road signs and so so much in this world through the Internet and through relationships and and just through the, the bling of this world that's always trying to get our attention and we get off track. Someone said that whatever gets your attention gets you. And some things are good. And you, they need to have your attention. I know the first time I ever saw Charlene, she was 14 years old. And she was in the foyer walking with a bunch of girls. And I was walking the other way. And someone stopped me and introduced me to this girl. And I thought, mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, that girl's looking good. And she smiled and said, hello, I'm Charlene. I said, you are Charlene, I tell you. (laughs) I immediately, I was smitten. I immediately went to say to my math class, I sat next to Ray Carter and I said, Ray, I just met the girl I'm going to marry. He said, who? I said, remember that girl walking down the hall? He said, yeah. I said, I'm going to marry her. He said, you're not going to marry her. I said, I bet you $50. Now, what I wouldn't have done for $50 back in those days. That was 14 years old. We started going steady that summer. I dunked her in the swimming pool and that just touched her heart. And uh, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff you did back there. You just dunk them and that was it. She was, oh my, that's, what a, what a man, you know. And uh, we, we started going steady. Hey, we waited till we were 17 to get married. I always tell the young people, look, y'all just need to wait. <laughs> hey, we did. And uh, this, hey, this coming next year we'll be married. This coming April, after we've been married 43 years with that home church. <laughs> but you know, some things are not good, like Charlene to be, a, and she's my everything. I mean, just, I'm still totally focused on her. But some things are bad to focus on. Look what Philippians says. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable. He says, focus on what's right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent 
and worthy of praise. Are you distracted? I get so distracted sometimes on worthless things. And it just, it just zaps all my energy and it takes all my time away. And I find myself at the end of the day, what have I been thinking all day? There's so much better things I could have been focused on. There's so much better things that I could have given my attention to. But this, because I didn't, this cost me a whole day of distraction. You ever hear the term, pay attention? Your mom and daddy used to tell you that. My teachers used to tell me that. Hey, pay attention. Yeah, all right. I'll pay attention. Well, what that means is that the, the term actually means it's going to cost you something to give your attention to something. And so whatever you're giving your attention to is going to begin to lead you away. You've got to stop giving your attention to one thing to give your attention to something else. And I think sometimes we're giving our attention to good things instead of great things. And when we give our attention to great things, our life starts getting better. You have to know that we impact our families and all the people around us by the things that we give our attention to. In Psalms it says this, I love this, it says, turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. You know, none of us can, can see our own errors and none of us can know where, where the end result is of the things that we set our affections on or our attention on. But we know that if we set it on good things that there will be a good outcome. So the question is this. Will I go for God or will I choose a worthless life? Will I focus my attention on things that will bring nothing good in my life or will I focus on good things? You know, as Pastor Greg is doing right now, it's always good to focus on your family. It's always good to focus on your small group, on your local church. It's always good to focus in prayer and focus in reading the Word and just eat, eat the Word of God every day. Read the Proverbs and apply those principles to your life. It's always good to focus on the things of God. Proverbs says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. He said, mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on a safe path. And don't get sidetracked and keep your feet from following evil. Now, you know your feet won't follow evil if you don't give it your attention. But as soon as you focus on things that are wrong and evil, you know what? You're headed that way. It's just a matter of time. So this morning, some of you have been struggling with that. Man, I've been giving my attention to these worthless things. And it's just taking all of my energy and it's eating up my spiritual strength and there's this sense of guilt and condemnation and I want to get free. Today you get free. This is a day that you move from those things back to the things of God. As you are led astray by focusing on the wrong things, burdens and the weight of it all gets on your shoulders. I know the mistakes that I've made in the past I carry them around like big stones. You know, it's like, oh my God, how much longer am I going to have to carry this? As soon as you decide to turn from that stuff, as soon as you decide to refocus on the Lord Jesus, 
you can lay those things down. But the weight of carrying all that around. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews says something incredible that I want to read to you. This is, this is our instruction for this morning. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings. And I get this picture. I don't know what sin looks like, but I I see it like big leeches or something hanging on my body. You know, they're just just sucking the life out of me and the spiritual life. And you're thinking, oh, my God, I'm, I'm carrying this stuff around. And the writer of Hebrews says, lay it aside, set it down, get rid of it. And he said, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Again, he says, lay that stuff down and look to Jesus. Just like Peter and John said, look on us. God is saying, look on me. I'm the author of your freedom. Let those things go. He said, lay aside every weight. Back in uh, December, I had surgery. I, they had found a, a melanoma on the bottom of my foot. It was a level 5 melanoma. Now, I don't know the difference between level 5 melanoma or anything else. And so I went to, the, to Google and I typed in melanoma level 5 on the foot. <laughs> Big mistake. You know, it's always worst case scenario. Isn't that right? So I pull it up and it says a level 5 melanoma is the most dangerous cancer of all, especially if it's on your foot, because you can go for a long, long time and not diagnose it right. It's totally misdiagnosed. And guess what? I had had it for at least a year. It had been exposed for at least a year and had been misdiagnosed for a year. And now there's this ugly thing on the bottom of my foot that's now life-threatening. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, i got a life-threatening cancer on the bottom of my foot. And I couldn't believe it. So I had surgery December the 2nd, and they took the ball of my foot off. It was ugly. It hurt. It was painful. I had to lay in bed for about six weeks with my foot elevated. Now, you know what you do when you lay on the couch for six weeks with your foot elevated? You watch television and you eat. (laughs) I was distracted. I had... Lost my way. I just sat there and medicated myself with food. Delectable food. And I started putting on weight and putting on weight and putting on weight. And it's fun at first, but then after a while, I said, you know what? This is getting out of hand. And I knew it was a problem when I started flying. And I would get on these flights, especially these like Delta Express. I call them Delta Compress. You got this big horde of people coming in, and all of a sudden they eat and squish you down to these two little skinny seats. And as I'm walking down the aisle of the jet, I'm looking at fear on people's faces. Some of them are in solemn prayer, and they're saying, Oh my God, I hope he doesn't sit next to me. And I know that's what they're doing because I've prayed that prayer before myself. And I'm thinking, these sinners. 
And so I, I'm praying the same thing. I always try to ask ladies, do you know this is a guy or a girl I'm going to sit next to? Because we're getting ready to crush somebody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I see this and I see this one time, this little skinny girl. And I was sitting next to her and I'm so relieved. And she's so upset. And I sit down next to her and she kind of looks at me, tries to ignore me. And I lean over just to kind of settle it. I said, hey. I am so glad I don't have to sit next to some big fat guy. <laughs> and they chuckle, you know, they, they, they kind of, anyway, but they still don't love me. <laughs> but it's just amazing those things that come to your mind when you've gained a lot of weight. And some of us are like Israel. We're leading a misguided life that's full of struggles and is full of burdens. And if you read the book of Exodus, you know, it talks about the burdens that the Egyptians had laid on Israel and how they suffered and how they cried out to God to be delivered from this oppressive nation. And they're crying out and and God is hearing them because He wants them to be weightless. He wants to take the weights off of them. You know, God wants us to live weightlessly. He wants us to lay down every weight and every burden. Even the weights that are on our minds. Do you know, I discovered through this cancer deal, Pastor uh, Greg, that the weight on my mind of dealing with cancer was the most difficult thing I'd ever been through. I mean, I'd be driving around and so distracted about what might be going on in my body because, you know, if it's level 5, it kind of gets into your, your lymph node canals and your blood vessels and it can go all over your body. I'm thinking, whoa, much of me has been eaten up. I just don't know. And I'm thinking, I'm driving down the street and I'm fighting. I'm trying to give it over to the Lord. And I'm running red lights and I'm stopping two blocks before the, the signal light. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm so distracted. Have you ever felt that hopeless and that, that lost with the things that weigh on your mind? When there's guilt and, and there's sin in your life and there's wrong things, especially if you've, met, you've worked all your life and you've made a wrong financial decision and you thought it was right, but now it's coming back to haunt you and you're so distracted. You know, I get distracted by that kind of stuff. I know I have to fight off the urge. I, I love cars, you know, and I get new car fever about every 90 days. <laughs> I got it now. I went and drove a, a new 2010 Camaro. <laughs> Come on, man, how many of you? Look at You got that in your radar? Look at people all over this room. It's just the Lord. But Charlene says, Billy, we can't afford a Camaro right now. I said, well, I know. That's why I say I'm going to buy one in March or April. So I always set off about six months because I know by then I'll change my mind. I've done it a million times. I've figured it out. And when I don't do it, I get in trouble, see? And it's not that I want it so bad, really. It's because I deserve it. In Exodus, it says, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I think the Lord is saying this morning, listen, 
you're distracted, you're off track, you've taken on weight. But let me tell you something. I will deliver you from out, from under those burdens. And I think that's God's business. Because Jesus died on the cross that we could be weightless. Now, you know what I found out when, I, when you're weightless? If you ever see this, uh, this spaceship, you know, the shuttle out in space, and these guys are floating around weightlessly, and you think, what would happen if they just kept floating? I mean, it was just, they'd go into oblivion, you see. They'd return one day as a meteorite or something or a falling star. But, you know, they're always tethered to the mothership. And God says, I want you to be free but I want you to stay tethered to me and let me lead you and guide me. Never get so far from me in your liberty and in your freedom that you lose sight of me because I want you really to fix your eyes on me at all times. And that's really what we need to do is hold on to Jesus, always looking back, always looking unto Him. You know, when we get to heaven one day, we're going to see the massive omnipotence, all-powerfulness of God and we're going to see His riches and, and His total loving concern for us. And we're going to wonder why we didn't go to Him more in prayer. We're going to wonder why we didn't focus more on Him on, uh, in earth. We're going to say, God, why did I ignore you for so long? As I'm standing before you, see how easy it would have been for you to answer my prayers, for you to deliver me from this weight and give me a clear conscience and a freedom and a liberty. But we don't do it because we are distracted. And that brings me to the second part of this scripture. And I'm just going to go a few more minutes. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, he says, Now, brethren, I want you to know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But God has foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, and this would be fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins might be blotted out. You see, God is saying, look, I want, to take you from, I want to take the burdens of your life off of you and I want to take the burden of sin off of you. The Scripture says that He carried our sins on the cross for us. I never forget the day that I accepted Christ and uh, I was, uh, we, we had a cattle farm and they used to drive up tractor trailer loads of cattle feed for me to unload after school. And I would drive up there and sometimes there would be 100-pound sacks of cotton seed cake, which was a cattle feed. As I would unload those things, the burden of each one would get heavier and heavier. But I never could, never will forget when I laid that thing down, how, how free and light I felt, almost felt weightless after about the 100th bag. i never forget one day I, I, I went to my bedroom to pray because I was under conviction of sin. I didn't really know how to get saved. But I begin reading my next door neighbor's Bible and I ask God to forgive me and to wash me and to take the burdens of sin off my life. And it was like I took a hundred pounds of sin and laid it on the ground. And I walked out of there and I thought, man, this felt like I just put down a, a sack of cow feed. And that's what sin was like on my life. And God forgave me. And from that day on, I was a new man. But I had to see Him first. I had to focus on Him first. So today I want to pray with you that God would help you let those burdens down and let you find freedom and how to learn and teach you how to live weightlessly in His kingdom.
Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for what Jesus has done for us. That you gave your life a ransom for each and every one of us in this room. That God is your desire that we live weightless. As we stay tethered to Jesus and as we focus on you, God, we lay the burdens down. Now, Father, as I pray, there's many of us in here who have taken on burdens. Maybe it's sin. Maybe we've given our attention to things that are worthless. And it's beginning to eat at our life. Maybe we've made mistakes that we're, we're sorry for and we're, we're, we're guilty. and we're, we, we're living in fear of being found out. And God, right now, we're just asking you, God, please take this burden from me. With every head bowed, I just want to get a response and pray for some of you. Would you say, you know what? I've made some mistakes. I'm off track right now. I'm carrying burdens. I want to give, give back to God. I want to lay these things down. And when I raise my hand, I'm going to ask God to help me. If that's you, I want to pray for you real quick. Just raise your hand and put it, look all over the room. All over the room. We're carrying burdens. We're carrying burdens and weights. Thank you. Lord Jesus, you see the hands here? God, right now we take these burdens. We ask for forgiveness. We repent. We turn away and we fix our eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Jesus, we lay those burdens down and we thank you for forgiveness. In a new life, in a new way, we come back on track after God. In Jesus' name, amen.